think they did beat the teachers, though. Well, today, today we'll witness baptisms, and I love when we do baptisms, and I encourage you uh, to come and talk with Jeremy and Megan, and for one, encourage them uh, that they were baptized today, and, and, and joining the church, and just thanking them for how they shared their testimony. Uh, and today, I, I, want us to focus, I want us to focus on baptism. Baptism is one of two ordinances that Jesus Christ has given to the church. Uh, baptism is performed typically at the beginning of the Christian life, and we do that once. And then the other ordinance is the Lord's Supper, which we do every single week because Scripture says, do as often as you gather. And both of these ordinances are physical pictures that point us to spiritual realities. We need to understand, they're, they're physical pictures pointing to a spiritual reality. They are given as a means of reminding us of the gospel, of strengthening our faith. And so, so I have two goals this morning as we walk through our text and, and we talk about baptism. Number one, I just hope to give a strong foundation for the immense value of baptism. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. And I want you to love it. And go. Baptism is amazing. And we're so thankful that God has given that to us. I want us to see how significant it is in the Christian life. And we'll even briefly talk about why we practice immersion. Second goal is I want to encourage you to be baptized. If you're here, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason have not yet uh, been baptized, I want to encourage you to do so. On, Jan on June 25th, we're planning on having another Baptism Sunday, and if you would like information about that, if you'd like to be baptized, please come see Jake or me or on those blue cards that are in the chairs or if you're in the overflow room, they're in your worship guides. I encourage you... Fill that out. Say, I want to be baptized. You can place that in the offering boxes or hand that to Jake or me, and we would love to connect with you and uh, begin walking with you uh, in that. Main point this morning, water baptism is a physical reminder of our union with Christ at salvation. I want you to see that. It's a physical reminder of our union with Christ at salvation. And so... Uh, Let's go ahead and jump in the text. We're going to be in Romans. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and stand. We're going to be Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And each week we stand at the reading of God's word because this is God's word given to us by God, inspired by God. And he uses it to equip us, to encourage us, to correct us uh, so that we will be able to do all that he calls us to do. And so we're going to start at the end of chapter 5 in Romans, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. <clears throat> For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let me pray. 
And Father, Father, with great joy, we get to talk about baptism this morning. We've seen a baptism. We've seen a picture of your gospel. And now we're going we're gonna to study and look at what this means. And so, Father, I pray that you would just give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel. Help us to better understand this morning what happens when you save us by your grace and we trust in you. May we rejoice in that we are united with you and we have assurance of our salvation and we know that we are in you and that, God, we are guaranteed to live with you for all of eternity. And so, Lord, I, I pray, help us see the beauty of what baptism stands for and symbolizes and points us towards. And God, for those who have not been baptized or those who have not yet trusted in you, I pray that as they hear about the gospel, that they would trust in you and they would desire to be baptized for your glory. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So I, I want to just begin and help us to understand uh, how we got to where we're at. Like, where are we at in Romans? Romans 5 ends with Paul giving the purpose of the law. And oftentimes we, we, we say, well, the law is so that we would obey God and the law is that we would grow in our righteousness. But Paul says the law was not given so we could obtain righteousness. The law is given to increase sin. In fact, the law reveals how sinful we are. But then Paul says, but the good news is where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. And so sometimes we can be discouraged when we look at situations and we go, man, they're just really, really sinful. And yet we can be encouraged because we know that God's grace is stronger. And so we rejoice in the fact that God's grace abounds all the more even where there is sin. But of course that leads then to the question in chapter 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul anticipates, as he's making this argument, as he's helping them see the purpose of the law, and then what Jesus does, that his readers very well may twist and distort what he has said. They might think, so if Paul says, where there's a lot of sin, God gives more grace, and if we want more grace... Maybe we should sin all the more. <coughs> Makes sense. Let's do that. And so we don't necessarily ask that question today, at least not as honestly as that. But I think we do ask that question in, in other ways. One of them, and many of you have asked questions like this. You might be wrestling like, uh, with a question like this. Can, can someone be saved? Maybe, maybe can profess their faith at age 10 or 15 or 20, whatever age, and then can they live 20, 30, or 40 years as an unbeliever? Are they saved? Meaning, can, can they say they're saved and then live in their sin, and are they, are they saved? Very similar to the question we're being asked here. Can we, can we sin all the more so that grace may abound? And so Paul is going to answer that. And he says, not in the least bit. That verse 2, he says, by no means. So Paul uses this phrase all throughout the book of Romans. And, and it carries a sense of outrage. Like, like when you're reading Romans 6, you cannot whisper these words. You, you don't read, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You can, like you can't read it like that. 
Rather, it's what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. Like he's, he's probably yelling these words as he writes them. As he's thinking about, no, we can't do that. And so, he's going to explain his outrage then with the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So what does Paul mean, we've died to sin? Why is it absurd for Christians to think they can live a, a life of sin after being saved? And so how is Paul going to answer these questions? How is he going to help his readers then and us today understand that we cannot entertain such foolish ideas? And to understand that, we turn, we turn to baptism. So point number one, and, and this is where we just I wanted to lay a foundation Baptism is about our union with Christ. You just need to know that baptism is about union. So when you hear baptism, think union. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, we read that all of Israel was baptized into Moses as they passed through the Red Sea. So they were united with Moses, the leader of God's people, as they went through the Red Sea. In 1 Corinthians 1.13, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, who are very divisive people, and he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Asking this rhetorical question. Of course you're not baptized. You're not united to Paul. You're united to, to Christ. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commands his disciples in the church to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every disciple is baptized in the triune God, meaning we are united to God. And so when we come back to like Romans chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, united into Christ, were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him. See this union? We're with him by baptism into death. So the first thing we just need to realize when we're talking baptism we're talking union we are now in christ this means whatever has happened to christ is now applied to the believer does that make sense like oh maybe well, as we walk through the text i think it becomes more and more clear and so uh to begin we'll go baptism reminds us of our death in christ a fundamental reality for every single believer. So if you're here and you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's my Lord and Savior, then according to God's word, you died. Meaning your old self has died. This is, what, this is why Paul asked the question in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were joined with him, united with him in his death. If you believe in Jesus, then your old self is dead. And the Bible says you're actually a new creation, which we'll talk about that more in a moment. So let me, let me explain, what are we talking about? This old self is dead when Christ was crucified. What does he mean? So context is important. And in the latter half of Romans chapter 5, Paul has been explaining where sin came from and how it is that every person is sinful. And so in chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, so you can just like look back one page, Paul says that sin came into the world through one man. And who is that man? Adam. Robert knows. Thank you, Robert. It's through Adam that, that sin has entered the world. And then we read, and through Adam, it's spread to all men. So sin comes in through Adam, and it spreads to everyone because of Adam, because we come from Adam. So two things we learn here. One, we're all born in 
the line of Adam, and because of that, we're all born sinful. So man's fundamental problem is we're in Adam. And because we come from Adam, the line of Adam, we're sinful, which means all we do is sin. That doesn't mean we sin as horribly and terribly as possibly at all times, but it means that nothing we do is for the glory of God. We live for our glory, we, we, we create idols, we worship the things we want to worship. And so, but then comes Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So what we learn is in Adam, we're born sinful. Sin is our master and we are its slave. But when we believe in Jesus, our old self is dead. We're now in Christ. We're no longer in Adam, but we are in Christ, which Romans 5, 17 says, we reign in life through Christ. This means... We're no longer under the ruling power of sin. That's what it means. Our old self has died. This doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. This doesn't mean that we're not influenced by sin, but it, no, it means that we're no longer under the rule and the power of sin. Before we're in Christ, sin says jump, and we say what? How high? What do you want me to do? Sin says do this, and we, we follow sin at all times. We are its slave. But then when we come to know Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin, and we know who Christ is, which is why Paul can say it's absurd for us to continue in a life of sin. The old self that was a slave to sin is dead. In Christ, we've been set free. You're no longer a slave to sin, and that's what baptism is a picture of. When you see someone going into the water, it's a picture of death. It's a picture of Christ crucified, and then being buried in the ground. So when they're going into the water, it's a picture of going Christ going into the ground. And by faith in him, we too have died. This is one of the reasons we believe in immersion. Immersion vividly portrays our death in Christ. Going into the water is a, baptism, is a picture of Christ's death and burial. So just if the ordinance is a physical picture pointing to the spiritual reality what does sprinkling point to and again i love my presbyterian brothers like we we are united in so many ways so so when when we we we'll pick on them and they'll pick on us here it does matter like this isn't to say well we can you know we just pick on each other it it does matter it does affect the way we read things and understand things um but by their understanding we're not missing salvation at this moment but i would say we don't agree with their view of baptism for one of the reasons is because of what it points to it's a picture of a spiritual reality sprinkling doesn't do that going into the water and out of the water reveals that spiritual reality the truth that baptism signifies is necessary and a powerful means of also resisting sin what you think about it? when you're tempted to lie, to steal, to lust, to respond in anger, to cheat. Remember your baptism. What does that mean? Remember, my old self is dead. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer under the power of sin, which means I'm freed from lying. I'm freed from stealing. I'm freed from cheating. 
I'm freed from impatience. I'm freed from this anger. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes do that, but we're no longer under the power of sin. We've been set free, and you can say, my old self is dead. I don't live that way anymore. So understanding our baptism is a powerful understanding of our salvation and what life looks like as a believer. And your baptism points that you are now in Christ. You're not in Adam. You're not a slave to sin. You're in Christ. And so baptism is not only about death, but it also points us to life, and that's our next point. Baptism reminds us of our life in Christ. If you look at verse 4, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him. Remember, we're baptized into him. We're united with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so you also, in Christ, are given new life. It says we now have newness of life that we would walk in it. The word walk is, is to describe the way that we live now. Our, our life is now characterized by Christ. We live new because we're not in Adam. We are now in Christ. You are different as a believer. Do you know that? You are fundamentally, we've used that word several times now, you're fundamentally different as a believer than an unbeliever. Scripture says you're actually a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Colossians 3, 3 says, you have died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, all this language is that you are now new in Christ. You live differently. In Adam, we lived a life of sin, but that self is dead. We now have new desires. We have desires that would be for the glory of God. This is why in Galatians 5, many of you know the fruit of the Spirit, we now Show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's to be the outworking of our new life because the Spirit is in us every single day. We now live for His glory. No longer do we want to make idols. No longer do we live for the proclamation, the glory of our name. But Paul says, no, you're now in Christ. Your old self is dead. You're now in Christ. You live for His name and His glory. This is why Paul is outraged at the idea, no, you cannot be saved and continue persistently in a life of sin. To think that way is to totally miss what happens at salvation. You see, sometimes we think, so maybe salvation is like just a, a newer version of me, like, like a software upgrade, and like you just run quicker and you have more features now. Or if you guys are into remodeling, uh, when we moved into our, our house, my wife wouldn't even, we had two rooms downstairs. They had this, you guys remember the, the old brown paneling? It was awesome, like in the 70s. It was really cool. And then we had green shag and green, and, and, well, and, and weird orange-red shag carpet. That was never cool. Like, I, you could say 70s, no. Uh, in fact, I was talking to someone there that you just lose things in shag. 
And when I pulled out that shack, I saw what the people who lived in my house in the 70s owned. <laughs> like, it is not a cool thing. Um, but what we think is, well, maybe, maybe coming to Christ is just, just a new, new coat of paint. We replaced the shack, put some hardwood floors in. We looked better, kind of an updated version. Maybe we got a new open concept. But salvation's not about being upgraded. Salvation's not about just looking better. Salvation's about being new. You're now in Christ. You have a new life. You've gone from Adam to Christ, from a slave to the kingdom of this world to a child of God in the kingdom of God. Many of you know Galatians 2.20. This is, this is one of those verses you should memorize. It is a good one. It's where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But notice what he says. Notice how he talks about union. No longer do I live. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Do you see that? That you're new. And what you saw today in baptism is the old self dying, being raised in newness of life. That we, as Christians, we're a new humanity. We're not in Adam. We are in Christ. That's the beauty of what baptism is pointing us towards. The physical picture matters because of the spiritual reality it represents. Now, some of you might be going, okay, I get this. Makes sense. Old self is dead. I'm now new in Christ, but I still wrestle with sin. So how does that actually work? How does it get played out? So Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an amazing uh, preacher, he used an illustration when he was preaching through Romans, and I, and I think it's helpful. He says, picture two adjoining fields. One is owned by Satan, one is owned by, by God, and they're separated by a road. And he said, before, we, before salvation, a person lives in Satan's field and is totally subject to his jurisdiction. Remember, we're slaves to sin. All we do is follow after the course of sin. And, and after salvation, a person now works in the other field. We're now in, in God's field, now subject to only God's jurisdiction. And as he plows and he works and he lives his life, the master over here, Satan, will often yell things at him. He will cajole him. He will try to entice him with former sins in his old way of life. And oftentimes, Satan will succeed in drawing the believer's attention away from his new master and his new way of life. But he is powerless to draw the believer back into the old, old field. That make sense? You're in Christ. You're in the new field. You're in the kingdom of God. There's no going out of the kingdom. You might sometimes act like an unbeliever, and we can get into that discussion at some point, seasons of life and things like that. But he says, now you're in Christ. You have a new master. Yes, you're tempted at times, and that will happen right up until Christ returns. But you are no longer under his power, under his rule. You now have grace in Christ at all times, living in the field of God, in the kingdom of God, that you would live for his glory. That's what baptism shows. Old self is dead. Come out of the water. New in Christ. It's professing and declaring. I'm in Christ. I no longer live like I did. Times I stumble. But stumbling doesn't kick you out of the field. There's grace. 
We're always now in the kingdom of God. So know this. If you've believed in Christ, you've been baptized into his death and raised to newness of life. You are new. Now, when you come out of the water, it might not feel new. It might feel cleaner. Maybe wetter. You might not feel new. But this is an objective truth that happened at a definitive moment in time. You are die, that you died and you're alive now in Christ. It's not a process. There is a process called sanctification, which we grow in our holiness. But Paul says, no, you are dead and now you are alive in Christ. Definitive moment in time. Not a process of death. You are dead and you are alive now in Christ. There's one more truth that we need to see. Baptism reminds us of our hope in Christ. This is so good. And I know that often as Christians, we wrestle with assurance of salvation. Meaning, am I saved? Am, am I still saved? I sinned. Did I make God angry? And did he, did he throw me out of his field? Did he kick me out of the kingdom? Have I been unadopted? Would he do that? So baptism actually answers that. Look at verse 5. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now context is important. Paul is talking baptism as a means of helping us understand what happened at our salvation and why we cannot persist in a life of sin. Baptism points to our death in Christ. Baptism points to our life in Christ. But now in verse 5, in future tense, he says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's point is that if death couldn't hold Christ, and Christ rose victorious over death, then we too will rise from the dead. You see that? What has happened to Christ is now applied to the believer. You died in Christ, old self. You're now new in Christ. His resurrection points to the newness of life. But even more than that, it points that we will live with him for all times. Because if he rose from the dead, conquering it, then his resurrection is the guarantee we also resurrect. We have new life and spend eternity with him. That's what he's saying in Romans 5, 6 verse 5. Look at verse 8. He says it again. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Our lives are now united to Christ. To be united to the death of Christ is also to then be united to his resurrection. You need to know that. So when you wrestle with salvation and you're going, man, I stumbled again. You come back to your baptism, not because baptism saves you. But because, you know, you say, I know what my baptism points to. My baptism points to the fact that I know that I died in Christ. My life is in Christ. And because he rose, I'm alive in Christ now too. And I will forever live with him. You come back to your baptism. Again, baptism doesn't save you. It's not a means of, a, of a curing God's grace, of earning anything. But it's pointing to the spiritual reality that is now true in you because of what Christ has done in you. Your old self is dead. You're new in Christ and Jesus rose so you too will rise. Again, the mode is important. 
What does sprinkling, how does that point to resurrection? It just doesn't. I think they're wrong there. In fact, I would say I know they're wrong there with my understanding of what Scripture looks like. Still brothers in Christ, yes. We disagree there, and it is a good reason why we disagree, and they're going to have their reasons, but one of the reasons we baptize, we immerse fully in the water to show that we died in Christ. We're now new in Christ, and just as we come out of the water, it points to Christ bursting forth from the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan, holding the keys of death and Hades, and pointing, because I died and rose, you will rise now too. Isn't that good news? That's what he's saying here. You just come back. Follow the argument in Romans. So when you see someone come out of the waters of baptism, you're not reminded of only the new life they have now, but you're reminded that Jesus victoriously rose. And because we are in Christ, what he has done is now applied to us, and we will rise too. So I hope you see. We stayed at a pretty high level, like a Google Earth view of baptism this morning, but we've gone kind of quickly. I hope you see the significance of it. It shows that we're in Christ. Our old self is dead. Our new self is now alive in Christ, and we will forever live with him. Your old self is dead. You are not a slave to sin. But I just want you to think, if you're here this morning, and you know that you are saved, and you're wrestling with sin, one of the things you need to know is come back to your salvation and say, I'm no longer a sin. I'm no longer a slave to lust. I'm no longer a slave to porn. I'm no longer a slave to anger. I'm no longer a slave to, to this legalistic lifestyle now. Or whatever it might be that you know you're wrestling with. You say, I'm not a slave anymore. Not because of anything I did, but because Christ set me free. And I'm now in Christ. And his righteousness is now my righteousness. And because he is gentle, I am gentle. Because he is loving, I am loving. Because he is kind, I am kind. Because he is good, I am good. You see that? All that's true in him is now being worked in you. Because why? You are in Christ. It's a reality we have to remind ourselves every morning. When you get out of bed, you wake up and go, I'm in Christ today. That's one reason I think it's good. Do our Bible times in the morning. Not everyone could do that. I, I realize that. There's sometimes reasons. But reminding ourselves at the very beginning of the day, I'm in Christ. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a child of God that I would live for him. So know that truth. And if you're here today and you've believed in Christ, and for whatever reason, you've just not been baptized yet, I urge you to be baptized just remember when we go back to Matthew 28 and Jesus is, is talking to the disciples and talking to the church. He says, go make disciples. And as you go, this is what you're going to do. You're going to teach them and you're going to baptize them. Every disciple. And a disciple is simply one who follows Christ. If you follow Christ, you're a disciple. And he says, you ought to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're united to God because you will forever live with God. So if you want more information on uh, the baptism we're going to do on June 25th, come talk to me, come talk to Jake, fill out those blue cards, uh, and we want to meet with you and talk with you and, and make sure that's able to happen. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll go forward and take, care and take part of another ordinance this morning. Father, 
Father, we praise you for baptism. That you know that we are physical people and we need reminders. And so you give us ordinances like baptism and like communion that reveal these amazing spiritual realities. And I pray today that everyone here that knows you, that has believed in you, has professed in your son, Jesus Christ, that they would know they're in Christ. May they know that truth. May they rejoice in that truth. May that truth be a means of grace in which they overcome sin every single day. We are not slaves to sin. Oh, but we are children of God now. And may that truth encourage us and spur us on. And may we as Christians remind ourselves and each other of that every single day. And God, now as we come and we partake of communion, may we also be reminded of your death and your resurrection and of the greater meal that awaits us. Where we will be in the new heavens and new earth and we will meal with you at a wedding supper. And God, we long for that day. So Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you have taken us from Adam and placed us in Christ. In your name, Jesus, amen.